Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey has started. We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize. And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you. Take a moment. Listen to the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey. With a new Democratic administration in the White House and the Democratic Party holding the slimmest of majorities in the Senate, there's a new dynamic in our nation's capital even as we continue to battle familiar foes, the coronavirus pandemic, climate change, and more. Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today on the journey is the current Senate Majority Leader, the senior senator for the state of New York, and one of the most accomplished public servants in our country. Senator Schumer, welcome to the journey. Great to be here, Dr. Frederick, and uh, I just learned that you're a Trinidadian. And um, I told Dr. Frederick that there are probably more Trinidadians in Brooklyn than in Trinidad, which I'm proud of. <laughs> that, that might be true. Speaking of which, what was it like for you growing up in Brooklyn? You know, Brooklyn was a great place. Uh, my father was an exterminator, you know, never, never went to college. And uh, we, it was a working class community. But what was good is I learned a lot on the streets. Frankly, I, I, our, my education at Madison High School was, wasn't bad, but I learned how to get along with all different kinds of people. We're a very diverse place every, in every way. And just how to, when you go to a big high school and when you are in a place like Brooklyn, there are so many different human and personal situations that you meet that it, 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 it helps you. And so I think the education I got on the streets of Brooklyn was probably as good as the education or as invaluable as the education I got at, at Harvard. Um, not, it's not as good a college as Howard, so you might not be able to say that about if I went to Howard, but so anyway. I, I hear that. There are few people who know the state of New York like you do. When you look back at the pandemic and how it really affected New York, New York being the epicenter at one point um, here, wh how, what are your thoughts now about lessons learned from the pandemic, and what, what are your thoughts about where New York is today with respect to yes. the pandemic? Well, to answer your second question first, we're in much better shape now. When it first hit New York, people didn't really know what COVID was. We had many more deaths than many other places, even with the number of people being sick. And so um, it, it hurt us rather significantly. But we learned from it, and we've come back, and New York is beginning to open up. I, I still am, you know, I was out at street at uh, street markets, uh, green markets this weekend saying hello to the voters. First time in a, I did it for a few times, but I've, I've, I've done it now more frequently. And uh, people are coming back and people are moving back and everything else is happening. So that's one thing. But, you know, this is a very important lesson. I like to say, I speak on MLK Day every year and I say Martin Luther King held up a giant mirror on his broad shoulders and with his eloquence and with his brilliance and with his faith, he forced America to look into that mirror. They didn't like what they saw and we began the slow road to equality. COVID in a certain different way did the same thing. It showed all the weaknesses in our society. Why did more people of color die or get COVID in New York and elsewhere? Because they had worse healthcare. Why did so many children, inner city and rural, lose out on schooling? because they, unlike other people, didn't have broadband. Why was it um, that 
so many frontline workers, you know, were just struggling because they were immigrants and they didn't get the benefits that other people needed and the help that other people needed. So sort of COVID held up, Dr. Frederick, a magnifying glass to our society, showed us things that were wrong with it long before COVID, but didn't come to the forefront until we had this crisis. And now our job in the Senate is to fix those problems, to make healthcare better, to give every family, whether it be rural or inner city, the broadband they need, um, all these kinds of things that we are trying in the plans that Joe Biden put together to make America a better, more equal place and to deal with the underserved communities who've been constantly left out. So in the second bills that we did where we had more say, for instance, money for small businesses, what we did is we said the smallest businesses, the inner city businesses, the people who didn't have a banker or accountant should go to the top of the list so they weren't pushed out by the big chains. Another thing, this was an interesting thought, um, I was visited um, by a group of ministers from the Baptist church, the AME church, and the Catholic church. And they said, there's no collection plate because there's no services. The churches are dying. And in many of our communities in New York, the churches are the glue. They do the social, not just bringing the message of God to the people, but they do the feeding the hungry and, and, and dealing with the kids and helping the seniors. So I put into that bill that the churches could get PPE, PPP money, and a lot of them have survived. In other words, we're learning lessons yeah. from COVID and trying to make, the, we tried to make them better in this ARP bill. Certainly. And we're trying to make them better permanently. So one last one that I'm really proud of, uh, uh, led by Senators Bennett and Booker and um, uh, Sherrod Brown, Brown of uh, uh, Ohio, is the child tax credit. We are increasing the child tax credit. So starting in July, every person, a single parent who makes below 75,000, a couple who makes below 150,000, will get $300 per month per child if they're six to 17 and 350 uh, if they're between, uh, 250 per child if they're per month if they're between six and 17, 300 per child if they're below six. It'll take half the kids in America out of poverty. Now we're doing that because of COVID, but we should make it permanent. That's what we're trying to do. And if we can take half the kids out of America out of poverty, it'll be great for the kids. A child born into poverty isn't, isn't often fed properly, clothed properly, educated properly, good health care. When they become 18, they're in a ditch. Many of them, to their credit, still climb out of the ditch, but many don't. This will be good not only for these kids to have them out of poverty, but good for their families and good for America. We'll have a much stronger, bigger labor force. You're listening to The Journey. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democratic Senator for the state of New York. We, we are extremely proud of the vice president, as you can imagine, how it was signed into uh, existence by the 17th president of the United States, a known misogynist, known racist, and Andrew Johnson, first US president to be um, impeached. Um, despite that, and despite how it being really created to educate slaves moving from the South, We've now educated the first female and first black vice president. What are your thoughts, given the slim majority I mentioned in the introduction of the role that uh, VP Harris is playing and will play in this administration? Well, first, of course, she's essential to us because if we get all 50 Democratic votes and get no Republican votes, as we have on ARP or on many of the nominees that President Biden has wanted in his cabinet, without her, we wouldn't get anywhere. 
But second, she has really, I, I've known her well. I knew her when she got to the Senate. I suggested to her, by the way, she get on the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees because I knew what a great prosecutor and lawyer she was. And she excelled on both of those committees. Um, and it helped make a great name for herself that allowed her to run for president. And, and you know, then of course the rest is history when Joe Biden asked her to be his vice president on the ticket. But she's doing a great job in the administration. She is by Biden's side all the time. She is his number one sounding board. So when he has an issue and it comes up, what do you think, Kamala? What do you think? And the fact this is where diversity makes a huge difference. She's had a different experience than Joe Biden. That's good to have the various experiences of America all with the input. So she's having a tremendous effect. Last night, he designated a few areas that she's going to take the lead on where she'll do a great job. She is smart. She has real principle, but she's also practical and knows how to get things done. And I love people like that. You know, if you're practical and have no principles, you don't get much important done. If you're principled and not practical, you don't get the big important things done. But together you do, and she's just right. So with that in mind, uh, the practical and the uh, principles, what are your suggestions about how the divide that seems to exist in our country can be closed? I think it is important for the young people who are coming to Howard University who want to make a change to hear all voices, but at the same time to recognize that they have to come together. How do you set an example for my young people here at Howard University as to how you can break that divide? Okay, so let me say this, and this is a, a longer, takes a longer discussion than we have time for, but I'll try to get to the main points. One, the American people want big, bold change. They want real change. And that is not just Democrats, that's Democrats, Republicans, independents, that's young people, middle-aged people, old people. Why? Well, the American, our society has changed. Technology, globalization, automation has made it harder for people to see a path forward in many ways. And so, you know, if you ask the average American, what is the American dream to you? They'd probably put it in simple terms. They'd say, if I work hard, I'll be doing better 10 years from now than I'm doing today, and my kids will be doing still better than me, okay? If you lose faith in that dream, you can turn to a divisive, nasty man like Donald Trump, who uses any device, including bigotry, to get his way. In a world where um, not enough, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of single parents uh, with trying to raise kids or two parents, but they both have to work. In the old days, that didn't happen. There are human infrastructure issues. We want to make tuition free, a college, community college free. We want to make uh, daycare, uh, sorry, pre-K pre education universal. So we're pushing for these things. And just since you have students listening to this, uh, Elizabeth Warren and I are pushing for something else we'd like $50,000 of student debt to be forgiven, which would be huge. So many people have a, uh, this huge burden. The young people get out of college and they have a huge debt burden and it, in, it gets in their way. They can't decide on their careers and on their families or buy a car or whatever else. And Joe Biden can do it with a flick of a pen. And incidentally, 28% of the wealth gap between black and white is caused by student debt. So it's a racial justice issue as well as an issue for all students. So what we're trying to do is bring people together on strong, bold programs they all like. And hopefully, eventually, the Republican senators and congressmen will follow. 
But right. right now, too many of them, Donald Trump threatens them. He says, if you do anything to make Biden look good, this is the vindictive type of man he is, um, I'm going to go after you. And he has a lot of strength because he controls the right-wing media, you know, the Sean Hannity's of the world. He controls the right-wing money. And even in the primaries, who votes in the Republican primary, much smaller than the Republican electorate, tend to the, be the far-right Trump supporters. So what we have to do is go around the Republican senators to the people. And that worked on the ARP, and hopefully it'll work on the infrastructure bill, both the physical infrastructure and the human infrastructure. As we close, you mentioned that you attended Harvard um, and Harvard's uh, law school, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, some people on my campus will describe Harvard as the White Howard. Uh, so with that in mind, for the young people who are here today attending DHU, what would be your advice from the lessons that you've learned around leadership over the time that you've spent in public yes. service? My father was an exterminator, as I mentioned, didn't make much money. They wanted me to go make money. I practiced law. I went to law school, as you mentioned. I practiced law for a, couple, a little while. I hated it. And my father was a small businessman, not very successful. And he paced the floor Sunday nights at 2 a.m. because he hated going to work. I said, I'm not going to repeat dad's mistake and do something I hate. And so I love politics and I ran for office and no one thought I'd win. The funny story I tell is I went into my local barber for any Howardites from Brooklyn. It was on Nostrand Avenue. And I went into him and I said, would you put a poster in the window, Frankie? And he says, sure, kid. And then he said, kid, I never told you this. I'm not only the barber, I'm the local bookie. You're the 50 to one underdog. <laughs> no one thought I'd win, I won. But do what you love. And that will let you lead. People, can, when you love your work, you do a better job. People are more willing to listen to your advice, to follow you. Don't do something because someone else tells you you ought to do it. Do something you know in your heart you love. And the other thing I would tell people is try to respect everybody's opinion, even when you don't agree with them. So I have a leadership team of 10 senators that we meet every Monday night to discuss the week and the month. You know who's on my leadership team? Uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are two most progressive senators. And Joe Manchin and Mark Warner are two most conservative senators. And you know what I ask every one of that 10 member, 10 member group? Respect each other. Don't. Um, cast aspersions on people's motivation, number one. Number two, I tell them, walk in the other person's shoes. West Virginia is not New York. But three, at the end of the day, we all have to come together. Without unity, we'll have nothing. That's advice I would give to people as well. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, my guest today was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democratic Senator from the state of New York. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The Journey.